Hi guys, welcome to another episode of Borderless. I have a very good friend of mine today. I've known him for four or five years. Mm -hmm. uh, he's an amazing fellow, you know. We went to school in Norway and it's just amazing how I've seen him grow over the years. And it's such a pleasure to have you here today, Eduardo. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Um, pleasure is all mine. Uh, so we met in 2013 at UWC, you know, and it's you're one of the people who I've seen you've you've grown tremendously over the years and it's you know it's it makes me so happy to see you just grow you know because i've known you for such a long time and seeing you now and looking back to who you were before i can like it's so obvious that you've grown a lot <laughs> you know and, and i'm just so happy to see you you know do the things you do you know st um, speak up for the communities you belong to even the ones you don't belong to so it's uh, such a pleasure to have you here today uh, so you're from Panama, yeah? Yep. Can you tell us a bit about Panama? Where is it located? Um, if I visit Panama, what can I do? Yeah. You know? So I'm from... Uh, I was born in Panama City, mm -hmm. but uh, my parents separated when I was four, so I moved to the countryside with my maternal grandparents. So I lived um, two hours away from the city in a small town called Anton. And it's a 5,000 people town, like population-wise. And um, that's where I grew up my entire life until I left uh, to United World College where I met you in Norway. Yes. And um, Panama, it's located in um, Central America. In, and it, it's, it's a very small country, almost 4 million people okay. uh, in terms of population. And, and it's, a, it's a very diverse country. I would say that if you go to Panama, one of the things that people mostly enjoy it's, it's um, the diversity in terms of food music but also the beautiful landscapes um, we have the Caribbean side and we also have the Pacific Ocean so it's, it's, it's a very beautiful place in terms of of outdoors and landscapes that's amazing that's amazing so uh, you you from Panama and you just said there's a lot of landscape a lot of outdoor you know things to do um, when you went to Norway, because Norway had a lot of you know fjords and mountains, mm -hmm. um, was it was it did that remind you of back home or was it completely different? It was completely different, I would say. I mean, when I was in Panama before Norway, I was not that much into outdoors, I so I would say that I didn't know much of the landscape in Panama because I was just so isolated in my own bubble yeah, in the yeah. countryside in that specific area and in the city so I, I wasn't really into exploring, exploring and doing hiking and, and going out on trips mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. to the coast or stuff like that until I left Norway no, absolutely but, yeah. it's the same back home we have a lot of mountains but um, I've never ventured out into any any of them because you know <laughs> it's a mountain what am I supposed yeah. to go do there yeah. you know that, that, that was just the mentality basically yeah. well I went to Norway, I'm like, people are making such good use of their time, going to exercise, you know, and then I went home, I think I went up to the mountains once or twice with my friends, you know, we, we went to find some plums, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, so it was, it was a good experience, Norway definitely opened my mind to things I, I saw before but I couldn't really connect to. Mm -hmm. When I when I went back home I could definitely connect. You know, I, I valued hiking, I valued just going to the mountains and having time for yourself. Yep. Was, was that the same for you too? I I would say so. I, I think I mean when I left Norway I was sixteen. So I I didn't have as much freedom in order to, you know, just go in an outdoor trip mm -hmm. to a random mountain in, in Panama. Yes. And I feel like I wasn't even aware of the whole hiking culture as I became aware of when I went to Norway. So I would say that for me, especially hiking was one of the biggest uh, eye-opening for me when, when I went back to Panama because I became really into exploring my country a little bit more and, and, and you know, enjoying those beauty of, of, of nature that, yes. I, I, that I didn't enjoy before because I, I just wasn't aware. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. That's amazing. You were 16 when you left Panama. That's, yep. You left at a really young age. Um, so what was... First of all, how did you know about UWC? Okay, so I got to know about UWC when I was 12. 
Oh, wow, four years before. Yeah, and if I'm not wrong, that was in my first year of middle school, and I was in a theater group. Okay. And I was the only guy from middle school in that theater group, and the other people were from high school. So there were a bunch of 16, 17 years old with these 12 years old. And and for me, that was something that that allowed me to uh, grow a lot, and Mm -hmm. one of the people there... um, applied to United World College and got got in and oh, she happened to be my neighbor and she happened to be a good friend of mine and she went to University of Costa Rica when I was in, in, in middle school and that's how I got to know so since I was 12 I knew that I wanted to apply that's amazing so I was just waiting for the age in order so to how, how was the application process like for you like I um, was the interview like and when you knew you were gonna go to Norway I mean you were 16 you know, like you were super young. Um, what was your reaction and what was the reaction from your family too? Hmm. So the application process, um, at the time we had to do a paper application process and then mail it. Mm-hmm. And it was a bunch of essays and um, information about who we are, what we do, uh, social service, but also about, you know, what are our contributions to the country in terms of, I don't know, culture. So, um, we were 12 people that passed to the last round and that's how, how we met. All of us met and we had to do a social service together and it was a very beautiful experience. Um, and after that we had an interview and um, the interview was, was a lot of fun for me. Yeah. And it, it was also very challenging because I never expected the questions that they asked me. Mm-hmm. So I remember vividly this um, guy asked me, what happens if, if, if your roommate has a really bad smell? And to my mind, I was like, is he really asking me this? Like, and, I, and I didn't understand why. And, uh, it was just, you know, questions that threw me off. And... It was just very, it was just very interesting, you know, the whole dynamic. And I remember it was just like a like a table with like eight people and me in the middle. Uh, it's, yeah, it was yeah. very like challenging, but at the same time, I had a lot of fun because I think for me, it was also a self realization of of who I was and, and what I was doing absolutely uh, at the time absolutely. in Panama. And when I got in Nor- to, in Norway, um, for me, it was one of the most exciting times of my life. Uh, I remember that. The first thing that came to my mind was like everything paid off. Um, since I was a kid, um, I was always motivated to leave the country because for people who are in the countryside and for people who are um, from a low income family, going outside and being able to study outside means a huge thing. Mm-hmm. So I was really happy, very, very, very happy, and at the same time, very nervous. and. Most of my family didn't know that I applied. The only people that knew was my mom. Yeah. So it was a huge shock for everyone. For everyone. But, I can imagine. But I would say that my family in general was very, very supportive because for them that meant also a huge uh, achievement. I was raised by a single mother and for her that meant a lot. You know, the fact that I was able to have those opportunities that she didn't have. She only had a high school Mm -hmm. uh, diploma and and obviously she was really excited that I was able to, you know, go to get a high school diploma outside Panama and even do more after that. So, so, so are you, uh, are you a first generation student? I am. I bet your mom will be, you know, that's, that's amazing, man. I'm so proud of you and I'm so happy for you. That's amazing. So, so when you, I mean, when you heard about UWC, you definitely had some, uh, you know, th- things in your mind like, oh, UWC is going to be like this, this, this. Mm-hmm. When you when you went there, uh, was it the same as you thought, or were things different, or were different for you, and was the same for you? I think some of the things that were similar to what I thought was the whole diversity of the of the place mm-hmm. um the you know the amount of people from all over the world that i met and that's that's something that i expected and that i had in mind and that's one of the most beautiful aspects of uwc i would say 
I think something that I wasn't expecting as much was how rigorous the academic oh, yeah. system was. Like, mm. I knew that it would be hard, but I didn't know it would be that hard. Yes. And I, and I didn't speak English at the time. Mm. And I don't know if you remember. And I was, I was just this very idealistic guy from the countryside in Panama who was like, yes, I'm going to share my culture. But then I wasn't thinking so hard of like, you're going to struggle a lot for the fact that you don't know English. Like even native speakers struggle a lot with the academic program mm -hmm. itself mm -hmm. and they speak English perfectly mm -hmm. and you don't speak English. So it, it's going to be even harder. And, and I think I wasn't, I wasn't ready for that um, at the beginning of, of my experience in United World College. Yeah. That's, that's an interesting point you brought up. You see, international students I feel like we don't give ourselves enough credit mm. for how tough we are because we're actually tough yep honestly you left Panama at 16 you went to the school in Norway really hard rigorous academic extra academic curriculum mm -hmm. you know you you were just learning how to speak English well here you are today <laughs> You know what I mean? Yeah. Like from that guy, from that kid who couldn't speak English to adapting and learning how to speak English along the way to making it to the US mm -hmm. on scholarship too. That's that's incredible. You know. So so for you, what what helped you adapt? Basically, what helped you adapt and how did you overcome the whole because it's overwhelming. Yep. You know, you're in a new place, you're young, yep. you can't even speak English, you know, yep. and all the classes were taught in English. So how do you manage to just get around and you know, um settle well in your classes and be able to pass all your classes and all that stuff? I think one of the things that helped me the most in adapting and learning English when I went to Norway was the fact that I wasn't afraid of make, making mistakes. Like, I, I don't know if you remember, but I, I, I remember myself sitting with a bunch of strangers in the cafeteria and just speaking in like body language. Like, I, I didn't care. Uh, and I looked so stupid looking back at it. And, but it's just like, I don't think I ever felt afraid of saying something or saying things in a wrong way in terms of pronunciation mm -hmm. or you know just throwing a random you know mix of words that didn't make any sense but at least I tried mm -hmm. and I think that's one of the the biggest thing that people have to learn whenever it comes to language because it you'll never learn unless you try and people correct you and absolutely, people absolutely. you know tell you Eduardo you need to you know you need to say this word instead of this word or this is not conjugated in the way it is mm -hmm. And I remember in, in, in my first week in Norway, I said, in order to say I was hungry, I said, I have a big hungry. And, and, and that's, that's something that I kept with me until today because it's such a bad sentence, grammatically speaking, <laughs> but like people understood what I wanted to say. Yeah, and, yeah. and I think that's one of the things that many people are afraid. Mm -hmm. And it's the fact that I feel like people are not used to failure and, and, and being seen as a fool or, exactly. or you know, uh, we, we try so hard to be these perfect people, academically perfect, with no obstacles whatsoever, but that's not the reality no, that we I'm live. And, and I think not. that sort of mindset was a key for, for my learning English experience and also for my academic experience in Norway in general. Amazing, amazing. I mean, I absolutely agree. A lot of people are too scared to to make mistakes because there isn't a safe the safe space usually mm -hmm. where people can you know just come out and say, hey, I uh, I like this. Mm -hmm. I need help with this. I need help with this. And and that's that's a sign of strength actually. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's not a sign of weakness for you to be able to actually come out and say, hey, or you know, I'm not even scared to speak because my accent is different because <laughs> you know that that's yep. a, that's a sign of strength yep you know it's 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 and i feel like people should do it more because that's how you get corrected if mm -hmm. you if you make a mistake just like you said that's how you know you're doing something wrong 
you especially with your peers first of yeah. all you have to feel comfortable with them and people have to make the environment comfortable for people to grow because that's the only way we grow i say something about you like oh it's said this way not this way mm-hmm. it stays with me next yeah. time i know what to say yeah you know so absolutely i i definitely do do agree uh when i know um in at, at uwc you were always dancing always <laughs> singing uh <laughs> you know you always this guy it's a show eduardo is on stage <laughs> you know is either singing or is dancing and and you you're so good at both and i don't know how you balance both of them <laughs> you know um when when did you start singing or and dancing like at what age and how how did that happen so in panama there is this stereotype that we were born dancing <laughs> and and actually my parents met in a dance event oh, and nice. um dancing is a huge aspect of panamanian culture and uh, since i have memory I, i remember my grandparents and my mother teaching me how to dance and and i have pictures of my fourth uh, birthday and my fifth uh, birthday mm. with my mom she teaching me how to dance and and it's it's so part of of of, of my culture and to me dancing is not even you know just a performance for me it's i tell my friend is my antidepressant it's 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 a therapy it's what keeps me going it's it's this moment where i feel so comfortable with with myself with with my body i feel like the language of of dancing it's it's something that is so beneficial to my well-being that that's why i do it i do it mainly because it really helps me to cope with you know with obstacles with hard moments but at the same time it's also this way for me to express happiness joy Absolutely. and Absolutely. since i was a kid i i was involved in dancing yeah. and singing i didn't know i was able to sing until i was like 11 or 10 and that happened because my teacher he used to be a singer and he also played the guitar so he made all of us in the classroom to try it and then he told me like yeah you should you should go to competitions and then, and at the time that I started singing it was a traditional dance a traditional uh, song that we called decimas and I started singing that and and then a professor approached me in one of the singing competitions and he was like maybe you should try to go to the church choir yeah and I never thought about it until that moment and i joined the church choir when i was 11 until i left nice. to go to norway so i, I was five in the years. choir for like five years and that's how i i started singing and then when i was in the uh church choir some of my colleagues or my mates um, we decided to make or create a salsa orchestra and uh nice. and like latino or uh, like music orchestra and we played in like hotels but it was mainly for fun um mm. it was mainly you know to have a nice time so since since i was very young singing and you know dancing and music in general have been a huge part of of my life not only as a performance but also as a therapy and a, as a way to express emotions so Absolutely. that that's amazing that's amazing um So does it does it come naturally to you? Do you have to like put do you put in a lot of work? Cuz cuz I know people are different. Yeah. If I want to dance, I'll have to practice <laughs> every day. Every day that's just me, you know. Yeah. Cuz I have to work on my moves and all. How how is it for you though? Does it come naturally to you? Do you get the moves just like that? I would say that it's a bit of both. Yeah, like it depends on the dance, but like I think for like people in my family it comes so natural. Yeah. Like I don't I don't think people realize how huge this aspect of my of my life um was. Um I remember every Sunday waking up to salsa songs <laughs> in order to clean the house and just then just dancing you know and, and then you see my aunt <laughs> and my and my grandma <laughs> dancing with the groom and uh, it's it's just so part of my yeah, yeah. of my culture that I think for me it just comes natural especially when it comes to latino dances mm-hmm. and to me it's a huge part and i would say that i dance more of of urban dance of you know of you know street dance than technique and that's for the same reason because 
I was raised with more of an urban mm -hmm. sort of vibe when it comes to dancing. Mm -hmm. So. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, do, have you ever thought about like being a professional? No, no. I don't. I mean, I have some of my friends who I come doing it professionally, and it, it's a lot of work. Um, yeah. I don't think I have uh, what it takes right now to do that because um, I never did technique early early on. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm not sure how good it would be for me at least at this stage. It would take me years to be a professional dancer. But I, as I said, to me, I, I don't want to see dancing as a technique or as a, as a profession. I see it more as my hobby, as my, you know, way to enjoy life. And I don't like to put so much pressure in the work that I have to do Absolutely. because I think it takes the joy away um, for, for, from what I what I see or perceive. Yeah, you want it to singing. be something, you know, that you enjoy. Yeah, I don't want to have a lot of pressure when it comes yeah. to We're in the life. same dance class this semester. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You yeah. know, African dance, yeah. 7.30 in the morning, yep. sounds familiar. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> it's way too early. <laughs> it is, that's an early class, that's an early class, you know. I, I wake up, so whenever I'm late to go to class, hmm? it's because I didn't walk out. Because mm. whenever I walk out, I'm always 15 minutes early. Oh, I see. Yes. So, so what time do you work out? Like five? Four, five. Yeah. Wow. With, with Anita. So yeah. it's not just me, you know. Yeah. She always like, you know, hey, she, we need she to go to the gym. She told me about it. I yeah, was like, yeah. no, that's crazy. That's too early. Yeah, and it, it's, 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 it's crazy though. Because I have to wake up, go to the gym, four or five in the morning, come back, shower. I'll always go to class, like always. Because, mm -hmm. you know, I'd be up already. And, <laughs> but whenever I'm in bed, it's like, oh, I snooze and snooze and snooze and snooze. And then, oh, I'm always like five minutes late max. Because it's so, so early. But that's, that's been um, one of my classes this semester where I go and just, you know, relax. Mm -hmm. it's, it's been really good for me. Mm -hmm. You know, and you are someone who, you know, is, it, is into dancing and all. How's that class for you? Like, how has it been for you the whole semester so far? Um, I what, mean, what do you enjoy the most? Like I mean, the class. The I mean, for 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 people who don't know, this class is it's it's a class that is more than dancing, and it also has a lot of history uh, component in it. And it's an African dance class that includes the African diaspora. And I'm an Afro Latino. I'm an Afro Panamanian who was really interested in you know getting to know you know those dances for uh, from Africa. Uh, from the continent itself mm -hmm. and also how it developed into the dances that we have in the diaspora. Mm -hmm. So I would say that the class for me was really, it's, it's until today it's really interesting because for instance last class we did a lot, uh, a lot of like a lot of things related to um, slav the slavery trade and you know uh, how these people from, from Africa, from all, o all over Africa ended up, you know, connecting to, yeah. to each yeah. other even though they had different languages mm -hmm. and, and backgrounds. Mm -hmm. and, and to me that's lovely because it, it's a history that is really close to me. Absolutely. And that um, in Panama people are not really aware. Same, same back home. And it's just so lovely. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm privileged to have the opportunity to learn those things. And I enjoy it. Whenever I go to class, I always feel so excited to know to know what's 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 gonna happen and because we never know the class is yeah, really yeah. like flexible that yes. you know yes. you don't know if you're gonna dance do meditation at the beginning or you're gonna just you know have a lecture mm -hmm. and i think like i'm enjoying a lot the information side because mm -hmm. it's a lot to do with with what i like and, and what i study as well mm -hmm. um but also you know the move the movement parts and, and trying to understand the different aspects of, of african dance that I think they are really enjoyable and interesting to learn. Mm -hmm. For sure, for sure. Yeah, it's been good for me too. There's so much I'm learning when mm. it comes to the information side. Yep. The documentary we watched in class was yeah. solely focused on Sierra Leone. Mm -hmm. You know, and and I didn't even know there was a documentary <laughs> like that out there. Yeah. You know, so it was good for me just to learn yeah. all those things. And, and also the meditation we do is amazing. I know we were together the other day when <laughs> we, we were meditating and then this girl just left. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She just left in class, yeah. you know. And we were like, oh, she's sleeping. I'm like, no, she is not sleeping. Yeah. And then I was like, two or three. She was sleeping. Like, she, <laughs> <laughs> she was sleeping. <laughs> you know, because it's so early and all. Yep. But she makes it so much fun. Yep. And I'm definitely learning a lot. And just coming 
and just from there, you know, the old African history, the old slavery thing, you're someone who's always speaking up against racism. You mm -hmm. know, you, you go on your social media, you're always talking about it. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a protest on campus, you're always there. You know, um, people know you in the community for that. You're always standing up um, for LGTB rights, for um, racial discrimination, sexual discrimination. You're always talking about those things. You know, you're always trying to get people together and say, hey, you know, speak up for what's right. Um, have you have you always been like this or was mm. that something that developed along the way? Um, I would say that since I was a kid, my family always raised me to be true uh, to who I am in terms of my beliefs. And I remember since I was in middle school, I... I was always standing up for things that I didn't like or that I didn't think were right. Mm -hmm. So like I had a math professor, that a math teacher, that he didn't teach us well in class and he did it on purpose for us to pay $10 in his, in his personal time for lessons and he would give us the quizzes. And I reported him to the, <laughs> to the rector's office and I got in huge trouble I had to move to school and, uh, and I've, I've been always like that like I, I think my family always raised, raised me with that mentality of you need to stand up for what you believe is true and for you know what you believe um, it's, it's, it's being unjust and I think um, I carried that with me since I was a kid mm -hmm. and when I went to Norway things change it a little bit because what is standard for in Panama were things that, you know, like, you know, corruption or things in classes, but there were never things close to my identity mm -hmm. or, uh, or things like that. So, I mean, when I went to Norway, it was this huge realization of, of, of who I am as a person. Um, wh what am I, you yeah, know, like, yeah. In, in, in my in my household in Panama, I was never to say the word black, and really? and my parents are whiter than me, <laughs> and and I'm the darkest of, of, of my family among my dad, my mom, and, and and myself, but then my grandparents are really black, like yeah. and and it's just this culture in Panam in Panama that blackness used to be, especially when I was a kid, used to be considered more of you know things related to criminality to drugs. you know to drugs alcohol. to alcohol to you know and that's what the media shows too yeah and, and it was really hard for my family to say yeah you're black Eduardo so they always call me cinnamon color and in Panama we don't have many things related to like race senses yeah. so like I never identified as black when I was in Panama I always said oh yeah I'm mixed or I'm cinnamon color and cinnamon color is not even a race but that was that, that's how my parents call me yeah, yeah. but when I went to Norway uh, I would say that um, there were so many changes right like it, it's this experience where you are just left on your own with a bunch of kids from all over the world that are your same age different cultures and different cultures and and for the first time I uh, I was able to to grow my hair I didn't, I didn't even know I had curly hair until yeah. I went to Norway. So you used to cut your hair all the time? like you Yeah, know. every two weeks I had like the zero here and the one on top. Like basically no hair. Whoa. And I never had long hair when I was in Panama, never. So I had this huge realization like, whoa, whoa, I have curly hair. What does this even mean? Yeah. And, and you start questioning, right? And, and it's not only to race, but it's also, as you say, with the LGBTQ community. Norway was was a place where I've, I I fell in love for the first time uh, for a guy, and and to me there was a huge self realization because while I was in while I was in Panama I always had attraction for guys, but I never thought that I was able to have feelings for mm. guys because mm. it's not common. Yeah. Or because I mean, if if blackness is not accepted, imagine LGBTQ related things like it, it's something that wasn't even on the table so was it something you just never acted on like you had feelings but you never mm -mm. I like I, I had attraction for guys but I, I never did anything uh, in Panama okay. um, because I was so, so afraid and 
I went to church a lot in order to repress those feelings. I even had uh, sort of like a, how you call it, like a salvation therapy because of my gay evil feelings inside when I was 13. So it was just this huge mess when it comes to my sexual orientation. Um, but in Norway, I had the opportunity to, you know, be myself a little bit more. I didn't even come out in Norway. Like I was still like I was I was dating a guy, but I wasn't even accepting myself mm -hmm. as as gay. Mm -hmm. And it was not until I went to Brazil when I took a year off after uh, after UWC that I was able to say yes, I, I'm gay, and it's something that I have to embrace. And that's where I became true to myself when I when I went to to Brazil. And not only coming out as as gay, but also when I went to Brazil for my for my gap here, mm. I also came out as black. And, and and I don't think many people realize these things, but me being able to identify as black was so powerful because it was the beginning of my activism work and my academic work on blackness. And 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 for me, that's something that is relevant until today with yeah. the things that you just mentioned about absolutely. my involvement on campus. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, that, that was just a lot what you just said, you know. <laughs> so, <laughs> it was just a lot for me. Um, but I'm so glad you're here now, like where you are today, from you repressing your feelings mm -hmm. just for being gay and going to a church to you know invoke an evil spirit that's mm -hmm. inside of you. Um, I mean, I can only imagine that that was tough yep. psychologically. I, I was that for you, just you know, going through all that. You knowing how you feel, but you can't really express it because of either culture or because mm -hmm. you know it's it's where you're from. Mm -hmm. You know, how, how was that for you, and how did you get past all that? You know, it's. I always tell my friends, being gay, it's. It's like you never stop coming out. I mean, you always have to go to a new job. You always go to a new place. And it always comes to your mind, how do I quite tell these new people? And do I have to tell them? And like, how, how do I manage my, my personal life? But at the same time, my queerness is not only personal, but it's also my political, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. my political it's views. It, it's, part of, it's part of who I am. Yeah. And I think... And I think how I cope with this, I was really lucky to have a, an amazing friend group. And I was really lucky to, to surround myself with good professors, with people that were always so supportive. When I was in Norway and I was having all these feelings, I went to a professor who was also gay. And I was like, this is happening to me. I don't know what to do. And I talked to my friends and, and you know, people were so supportive. And then when I went home after I graduated from UWC, I, I talked to my mom and I was talking to, to my friends in Panama and all of them, all of them were so supportive. And I, I would say that I'm really lucky to have that because not many people like me who are gay are able to have that supportive family. Absolutely. But I think I was able to be um, comfortable with my sexual orientation because I was this gay guy who left Panama who was achieving these old things. I think it would be so different if I would be openly gay in Panama, just being there and not being out outside the country mm -hmm. studying. Mm -hmm. Because I felt like my process of coming out or the fact that I came out also opened up this idea of what gay people are. Because in, in Panama, people think, or in Panama at the time, many people thought that being gay is being in carnival with almost no clothes and being, you know, very sexual on TV and, and being, you know, very um, offensive and, and stuff like that. But I think the fact that I came out being such a different As person or, or perspective from what they thought it was yeah. opened up their minds about that. Yeah, gay people can, can be lawyers, they can be Anything. politicians, they can be whatever they want to be. Yeah. And I think that was the lucky part of myself and, and the privilege because I was able to live my truth outside Panama and I, I'm not sure how I would have done it if I would have been in the country and that's why I also stand for, for, for themselves. I always try to stand up for LGBTQ rights in my country because I'm in a privileged position 
of being here and being out. Not many people in my country can do that. So obviously my activism goes as a way to pay back, I think, to to the people who believed in me and to the people that helped me to be in the place I am right now. Absolutely, absolutely. That's amazing. Like I said, I'm so happy you're here. <laughs> you know, honestly, because I know for sure there's a lot of people who can't come out because mm -hmm. of fear of, you know, being um, being judged mm -hmm. or just family, mm -hmm. um, just because the environment doesn't support the idea of you being gay, which is just you literally being yourself. Mm -hmm. Like, that is, it's just you. Yep. That's who I am. Like, yep. that's my identity. Yep. You know, but there's so many people who are suppressing who they are. And, you know, it's like you said, it's such a privilege for people to actually come out mm -hmm. and have people support them. Yep. You know, because that's like you supporting this individual. You know, not just the idea of who you want them to be, but who they actually are. Mm -hmm. You know, accepting it and actually just pushing them to to be the the, the, the best selves. Yep. You know, so That's I'm right. I'm really happy you 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 were you you. today. You know, and I hope this just um, people listening this who you know are feeling the same way you felt four or five years ago can eventually over the years you know get past mm -hmm. whatever they're feeling. And actually be able to come out and also your f friends and family can you know support because they, they, they need that like mm -hmm. people people need support you know um, so just from what you said UWC kind of like triggered the whole thing of you coming out mm -hmm. but you weren't able to actually come out until the gap here in Brazil mm -hmm. Um, can you can you tell us a bit about the gap here in Brazil? Like, what did you do, and what exactly that led you to come out? For sure. Um, so after United World College, I applied for college for college or university here in the states. But I also felt that I needed to take a break from the whole academic <laughs> overwhelm overwhelming experience that I had in Norway. Yeah, that was tough. So. In my, in my last year in Norway, I was able to see this opportunity that came up for, for people from our high school, mm -hmm. and it was to do a bridge year. They call it a bridge year, but it's basically a gap year with an organization called Global Citizen Year. And Global Citizen Year, it's, it's a program, it's, a, it's an eight, eight months program for high school graduates, and the idea is to have a year in between high school and university in order to learn a new language, uh, being exposed to a different culture and do uh, an apprenticeship. So I decided to go to Brazil because I wanted to link my academic career with that. I wanted to learn Portuguese and I also wanted to learn about that part of Latin America that I wasn't much aware of because of the language barrier. Mm -hmm. So I had the opportunity to go to Brazil uh, for seven months or something like that, and I was able to work uh, in, a, in a music organization building instruments out of wood. And my experience in Brazil was so unique because for the first time I didn't have school to worry about, mm -hmm. <laughs> and I, I had that that so good thing for me to just you know that's always a good thing process yeah <laughs> process you know my two years in, in united world college and and you know see see what i can do now and i was trying to focus aspects of my life in in different things that were not academics mm -hmm. so i was able to do that and i i, I engage with many things of the local community like um capoeira which has a lot of african descendants um roots in, in, in the, the whole martial art and dance um, in Brazil and I was able to you know do samba and, and other, other things that were related to blackness so that was the trigger point right where I saw blackness not as a negative thing for the first time and, and, and you know you know that Brazil is a country that got most slaves from the whole slave trade so they have a huge you know black culture and I was able to see that for the first time I saw people on TV that looked like me, 
and I wasn't used to that in Panama. Like, like, let you and, and that kind of trigger triggered me a little bit. Like, whoa, uh, that that started changing my perspective on blackness, and that was that was one of the the things that started also like you know allowing me to accept myself as black mm-hmm. was the fact that I was able to do these amazing things in in Brazil that were related to to blackness. But when it comes to my sexual orientation. I remember um, I was with a host family who was very religious in Brazil and they were always saying these comments like yeah gay people go to hell and they didn't know anything about myself right so I decided to talk to my host mother and I was like hey I'm not feeling comfortable with the comments you say I'm in a very confusion or confusive state of my life when it comes to my sexual orientation I would really appreciate if you would not say these comments and tell my 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 host that not to say mm-hmm. uh, these comments either. And two days after, they kicked me out of the house, and that was the day of my birthday. I remember it <laughs> so vividly. Uh, that was November wow. 10, 2015. Wow. And I remember these whole emotions came to me, and it was my birthday. I couldn't even celebrate my birthday, and I was just thinking like. I feel like so miserable. I think that was one of the days I felt so miserable for being, you know, who I was. And it was just this whole realization of like, what would happen if I would tell my family then? You know, I started comparing and and it was just such a A difficult moment for me. However, I remember five days after that, uh, I was talking with my team leader there in the country and I was sitting just chilling like yeah I'm doing better with my new family like they changed my my mm-hmm. my host family right away and I remember I was telling my team leader oh yeah um, by the way I'm gay and and for me that was like wait what like did, did, I did, did I just say that I'm gay and and I think that was one of the most liberating moments that I had Brazil after that I I came close to things that you know, I wanted to do in terms of my sexual orientation, like I, I volunteer in NGOs, learning a little bit more because I was very, very ignorant when it comes to queer uh, culture or queer health, queer health, and and queerness in general. So Brazil was that point where um, I was able to enjoy, to a certain extent, the fact that I was out as gay and I was able to go to gay clubs um, just be yourself and be, be myself and I started being myself because obviously it's a process that takes a lot of time mm-hmm. and each individual is different so for me it was just this you know escalating process where I was, where I was trying to mainly be comfortable with myself I, I, I was not trying to be able to accept me but I was trying to accept myself, which I think is most of, most of the difficult, one of the most difficult things of, of being gay. It's us being able to accept who we are and embrace absolutely. that. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Wow. I mean, that's that's just a lot. Like, you've been kicked out on your birthday. <laughs> well, you've been kicked out because you're gay, first of all, mm-hmm. on your birthday. Yeah. <sighs> Damn. <laughs> that's, that's a lot. But I'm glad. So, when you found this new family, did you tell them about your... I mean, my team leader and the whole program faced this for the first time. The, oh. So this is this was new for everyone. New. So what they did was that they told the new host family, "Yeah, Eduardo is gay," <laughs> and did something that you know, are you okay? Okay, having him, and they were fine. And until today, I'm really grateful to those two individuals. He was my Portuguese professor mm-hmm. there in Brazil, and. I'm really close to them, really, really close to them. And not only to them, I was able to talk to my host mother, mm-hmm. the one from the family that kicked me out. And, you know, I always try to be critical towards these things. And the person who kicked me out or who wanted to kick me out was my host father, not my host mother. And my host mother has always been very supportive and she was listening to me. And until today, she texted me, she texted me today, like, how are you doing, Eduardo? You know, and it's been how long? Four years or something like that. Mm-hmm. And even though that family kicked me out, I think they were able to learn a lesson of, of how they need to see human beings Absolutely. beyond 
you know, think like sexual orientation. Mm -hmm. So I think that that was a learning experience, not only for me, but for the program itself. Now the program asks host families if they're okay with okay. queers, you know, queer yeah. people. And I think it was a, even though I hate that I was the guinea pig, like, <laughs> I think it was, it was a good experience for the program to grow, for me to grow, mm -hmm. for my host family to grow, mm -hmm. and, and for me to self-realize that I needed to accept who I was and I didn't want to accept any shenanigans yeah, or anyone. Just, just when it comes to my sexual orientation. What people think, what people say, you know, you are who you are. Yep. And just like you said, accept yourself. Yep. You know, and, and you see, it's it's been a, sounds like it's been a long journey for you. And, yep. and honestly, I'm just so glad. Like I said, I've known you since 2013 and you've been where you are today. I can definitely see <laughs> how much you've grown and I'm just so happy for you. Honestly, Thank you. Honestly. Um, you know, but just like closing up and all from the one year abroad, well, in Brazil, uh, you came to you, you know, and it's your junior now. Yeah, almost a senior. Almost a senior. Almost. Yeah. Almost. Oh, almost there. Like. Almost there. <laughs> <laughs> almost. Uh, what has been some of the challenges for you just being international students, uh, just being an international student? And how has the LGTB community here been for you as well? Like at OU. Mm. So being an international student, I think being a United World College international student has a lot of benefits. I mean, we have an office with people Support. that are really supportive. Mm -hmm. And I think at the time that we came to the United States, it was a really difficult time because it was the election. And, you know, the whole political atmosphere was attacking you know, pe people like us, mm -hmm. you know, international students or foreigners. And I was a, a, I'm a Latino, right? And, and that was part of the whole TV discussions, you know, immigrants from Latin America and stuff like that. And it was definitely a challenge, um, but I think I was able to find a good support with my professors and with my friends and, and so on. However, I think, I think the university now it's, it's it's facing a new challenge with new leaders and we just have a new change in changes in the administration and i think they are not um they're not bad people and they they're definitely uh people who have good intentions but i think many of them are unaware of how to deal with diverse communities like exactly. us exactly. and it's just so challenging right now because i feel like i feel so vulnerable to be um you know attacked or discriminated against on basis of the first amendment rhetoric and, and i think that's really scary because i feel like in places like universities leadership should be strong mm -hmm. in times where the federal leadership or the executive branch of the government in the United States is attacking people like us. So I think the university is facing a huge challenge and I obviously feel um, afraid and, and, and worried, but I think it's always important to, you know, surround yourself with people that care, but also speak your truth and, and being able to, you know, tell people the stories and the struggles that we live and that we are not people trying to take their jobs or steal or you know rapists and we're more than that or what the tv says and it's it that's why i think it's so important you know to 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 talk to to do activism because it's it's what keep us going and and it was it's it's the key for us to ameliorate the situation of our university when I critique the university or the leadership, I don't do it just for the sake of doing it, but I do it because I love this place and I want more opportunities for people like me to come to these places where our majority white people from a specific economic background. And I think it's important, you know, to work with, with the leadership in how to make these places um, comfortable or doable for people like us, because besides the academic work, we have to do all these like, psychological needs that, you know, that demand the fact that we are minorities mm -hmm. that have been currently criminalized, mm -hmm. oppressed, offended, and, and it's, it's just a lot, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that's one of the biggest challenges that we face right now. It's 
uh, weak and poor leadership, especially in, in the University of Oklahoma. And I would say it's also the fact that many universities in the United States are facing a lot of white supremacist manifestations because of the new government. So it's, it's, it's a very challenging uh, time for, for international students, but I would say that it's always important to speak the truth of themselves, to speak their stories, to stand up for the, what they believe is right, and also uh, stay healthy and, and you know, prioritize you know, their mental health because it can be a lot. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I definitely and I absolutely agree with everything you've said. You know, it's definitely a, to a tough time for mm -hmm. all of us, especially people of color mm -hmm. at the university, mm -hmm. especially the last two months, for example. Yep. You know, it, it was a lot. But hopefully, you know, um, the, the um, president and his office, you know, the whole people in charge of diversity can stand up you know in times and just protect people of color because we definitely do need that mm -hmm. there was a guy walking around campus in blackface yep just because he felt like yep. and he was wearing a t-shirt that said people of color are not welcome here i mean it's it's surreal to think that these things happen yeah. until today exactly uh, exactly like all on basis of the first amendment i mean <laughs> i i don't get how being not being able to say the n-word it's oppressing you. I don't understand yeah, how yeah. I'm criminalizing you and, and oppressing your freedom of speech just by you not being offensive to me. Like, I, I, I don't it get it. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense for me until yeah, today. But uh, bottom line, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. Like, I, but yeah, it's, it's been real, you know, and it's been such a uh, pleasure to have you here today. Thank I appreciate you, you coming. Thank uh, you for having me. It's, it's, it's my pleasure. Um, but just to round up, do you have advice for young people watching the show, you know, people who want to come out, or just pe young people in general, or just everyone out there, like, what, what, what would be your closing remarks to, to them, you know, I think for life in general? For my queer fellows, I would say, you more than anyone know when to come out. Uh, don't forget the pressure of, of coming out because of friends, because of family, because of the environment that you are. But you more than anyone know when and where to speak your truth and to who. And remember that there is a bunch of people who are here supporting you and, you know, struggling uh, as you are. And reach out, reach out to those people, surround yourself with people that care and that are actually your real friends. and. And I would say, speak your truth whenever you feel comfortable. And also, to to my fellow activists or people who want to make changes, and your and the allies there, and always stand up for for what you believe is true. Always uh, fight for 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 your beliefs, um, and do it in a way that it can encourage other people to do it because. This is how we make changes, you know, by, you know, encouraging other people to to stand up for, for themselves as well and to stand up for those people who are not in the privileged position of doing so. So that's what I have to say. And yeah, live, li live your truth and, 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 and be who you are, be, be yourself and, and don't live by what other people want you, to, want you to be. Absolutely. Hey, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Michael. Cool.